I, I want to talk today um, just for a change. We've hardly ever done this uh, at our church about Jesus. I really want to talk about Jesus because he's so flipping amazing. And uh, we've been talking about Jesus almost non-stop uh, for the last, I don't know, two, three years. We started before the first lockdown and uh, I hope we talk about Jesus regularly until we see him face to face. But what I want to do today, some of you, uh, I, I, this isn't new, if you bought our, my, Andy and I wrote a book uh, years ago now called Storylines, which traces some of the wonderful threads uh, through the Old Testament, through the whole Bible, uh, the thread of worship, the thread of covenant, the thread of God's presence, um, various other ones. And uh, this is one of the threads, kind of the, the most wonderful of them all, which is, which is finding Jesus all over the Scripture. And um, uh, so this is taken from one of the, the, the chapters. It won't be as full as that. I'm going to leave loads out because otherwise this could be a conference uh, talking about Jesus. There's a Swiss theologian called Karl Barth. And uh, he said once, uh, Christ is in the Old Testament concealed and in the New Testament revealed. And uh, uh, the, the, the classic understanding uh, that we've kind of had that's been wrong is that the Old Testament is about God the Father and quite a bit about judgment and behaving ourselves, whereas the New Testament is about Jesus and his grace and his mercy and his kindness. And he kind of showed more the loving side of God. I want to suggest that nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, Jesus is all over the whole of the scriptures. Indeed, uh, Jesus um, says in John 5 to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures. And when he said that, he meant the Old Testament scriptures. You, because the New Testament had been written, his story hadn't been written yet. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you find life and you don't understand that the scriptures point to me, that the scriptures point to me. And he was talking about the Old Testament. And uh, I, we, we're, we're going to miss loads out. There's over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament written a couple of, most of it, 2,000 years before Jesus was born about Jesus that was fulfilled in the New Testament. We're hardly going to look at that. What I want to do is I want to look at a few characters and hidden in the stories of those characters are hints, whispers about the coming of Jesus. And I just love this. And we're not even going to touch Moses and I mean, or, or so many of the others or Isaiah 53 or the kinsman redeemer in the book of Ruth. But we're going to begin with Noah. Noah in uh, Genesis chapter 6. And in those days, and I'm going to paraphrase lots of this. Please look at it yourself so that you can make sure. If I, don't think, if I think nobody is checking this in your Bibles, the temptation will be that I will make things up. Okay? So I need at least one person in the church uh, to, to, to check um, that, um, yeah, otherwise... Who knows what I could say? Uh, in those days, 
everybody had turned from God and there was corruption in the world and people were treating one another in a terrible way. And uh, we read that the Lord says, um, well, it just says here, verse 11, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and full, was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on earth had corrupted their waves. Uh, their ways, not their waves. And, and, and so the Lord said he regretted that he'd made humanity, that he created humanity. And he said the way they're treating each other, it would be better if they didn't exist than exist with all this violence, with all this pain, with all this hatred, with all this hostility. And then God found one person who was righteous. We read this. Noah was a righteous man blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. And because God found one righteous human being who walked blamelessly with God and was faithful to him, God said to Noah, I want you to build me an ark, a big ship in the desert. Yes, not by the seaside, not in a port, but in the desert and everyone's going to laugh at you, and everyone's going to mock you, but I want you to build me an ark and build it of wood, and it will be the ark of salvation. And when the flood comes, anyone who is part of your family, anyone who joins your family, even though they deserve to die, they will live they will join you in the ark of salvation. 2,000 years later, God found one righteous human being, blameless, who walked faithfully with God. His name is Jesus Christ. And he said to Jesus, I want you to build me an ark of salvation. Make it of wood. And anyone who joins you in the ark of salvation, even though they deserve to die, they will live. The wooden cross is our ark of salvation. And there were hints in Noah of what was to come. Then we go to Abraham and his sacrifice of his son Isaac in Genesis chapter 22. This stuff makes me want to sing. It really does. And I won't sing because I can't sing, but it makes me, I'm just telling you, it makes me want to sing. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. Where's that a hint of? What does that remind you of? This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. John 3.16 God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Take your only son Isaac whom you love to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as an offering on a mountain or a hill I will show you. Take your son to the region of Moriah. Now, I don't know if what kind of Bible you've got. I hope you've got a Bible. Uh, lots of people 
or they have their Bibles on this, well, that's just not good enough because there's, there's only a limit to what can happen on this. Um, and some of you, um, you've got, I've seen them, you've come with these pathetic little Bibles, these little, these little tiny things that, that's, they're not proper Bibles. If you want to know what a proper Bible is, a proper Bible is one with maps in the back. I have a proper Bible. And if you have a proper Bible, which has maps at the back, and you look at a map in Abraham's time, and you see the region of Moriah, and then you go to the, same, to, to the map of King David's time, and then of Jesus' time, you will see that the region of Moriah is where later on Jerusalem was built. And Jerusalem was actually built, it says in the scripture, on Mount Moriah. On Mount Moriah. So take your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Take him to Mount Moriah. To the mountain, the hill I will show you about. So Abraham got his son Isaac together and some servants. And he got a donkey. And he put Isaac on the donkey. And the father and son went to the region of Moriah where 2,000 years later, Jesus would ride into the same place on a donkey. On a donkey. And then when they got there and they saw the hill, they saw the hill, um, they, they took... Um, um, Isaac off the donkey and Abraham said to the others, you wait here, I'm going to go up to the top of the hill with my boy. And Abraham took the wood that he brought for the sacrifice and do you know what he did with it? It says, Abraham took the wood for the offering and placed it on his son Isaac. He put it on Isaac and Isaac carried the wood on which he was to be sacrificed up the hill of Calvary, Mount Moriah, where Jerusalem was built. 2,000 years later, they put the wooden cross on the back of Jesus and he carried the means of his own execution up the hill. The father and the son went up there together when they got to the top, Isaac said, the fire and the wood are here, but where's the lamb for the offering? Isaac didn't quite get it, thank goodness. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar to sacrifice Isaac. And then he was about to kill him when the Lord said, stop. Stop, I have seen, I have seen that you fear God and you've not withheld your only son from God. You don't have to sacrifice your son Isaac because I'm going to sacrifice my son because that's what I'm gonna do. And then Abraham looked up, verse 13, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns he took the ram and he sacrificed it instead of Isaac. So Abraham called the place, 
the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain or hill of the Lord, it will be provided. To the day when they wrote this. And so that place was called, the Lord will provide. And the Lord did provide a lamb for the sacrifice. But not then, because it was a ram. 2,000 years later, the Lord provided the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is being whispered. Do you ever do Where's Wally when you were younger? Have you ever done it with your kids? It's, I don't know if it's quite in the fashion now. And you know, I could never find flipping Wally. You know, however, even after they pointed him out to me, you know, I'd go back 10 minutes later and I still couldn't find him. You know, is he on the roof? Is he behind the window? Is he behind the curtain? Is he underneath the car? There he is. Well, this, this is better than where's, this is where's Jesus? Where's Jesus hidden away? If Karbar is right and Christ is in the Old Testament concealed and the New Testament revealed, I want to suggest to you this morning, they didn't do a very good job of concealing him because he's there everywhere. So there's, there, there's Jesus in the sacrifice of Isaac. Joseph, oh my goodness, where do you begin with the story of Joseph? If you want to read it, it's um, from Genesis 37 to Genesis 50, so you know I'm not making it up. But, but the, the story begins, Joseph uh, was, was his, his father's delight. He has dreams, and, and the dreams that are given by God are that, that everyone will bow before him, and he will stand tall, and he will be like a ruler. And his brothers don't like it. I mean, what older brothers want to put up with a younger brother that says something like that? So they did what any self-respecting older brother would want to do at a time like that. They sold him into slavery. And, uh, and the thing is, Joseph's dreams were from God. He was going to be a ruler, but he was going to suffer first. Just like Jesus, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so they sell him into slavery. And, and do you know what it says? That they sell him, they sell him for, for 20 pieces of silver. When I first read that, I thought, oh no, what a shame. If it was 30 pieces of silver, it would have been perfect because Judas sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Uh, uh, but here's the point that I never realised at the beginning. 20 pieces of silver was the going rate for a slave in the time of Joseph. That's why they sold him into slavery for 20 pieces of silver. By the time of Jesus, the price had risen to 30 pieces of silver. God even allowed for inflation. It was in effect the same amount adjusted for inflation. So they sold him and Jesus and Joseph, Joseph found himself in a distant country. He found himself in an alien country. He found himself in Egypt, just like the king of heaven found himself 
a for, uh, in a distant country on this planet. 2,000 years later, he becomes a slave in Mr. Potiphar's house and there comes a confrontation with sin. Mrs. Potiphar, in a very... Um, she's, she she's just does it in a very, very casual way. She says to Joe, come to bed with me. She's so subtle, Mrs. Potiphar. Come to bed with me. And Joseph says, no, I'm not going to take advantage of my position and do something that is wrong. 2,000 years later, in the desert, there was a confrontation between Jesus and Satan. And Satan said, I'll give you all the world if you do this. Here's what I'll give you. And Jesus said, no, I'm not going to take advantage of my position. I'm not going to take it like that. And Joseph was therefore accused of a crime he did not commit. He was accused of, of rape. And he found himself in the deepest dungeon, the dungeon of death. The dungeon of death. And he was there. And Jesus Christ was accused of a crime he didn't commit because he was righteous. They lied about him. And he found himself on the cross, his own dungeon of death. While Joseph was in the prison, two criminals came and joined him, a cupbearer and a baker. And because of Jesus, I'm cutting a long story very short, read the original, please. The cupbearer, because of, I keep saying Jesus when I mean Joseph, and Joseph when I mean, there's a reason for that. Um, and because of Joseph, the cupbearer goes free. 2,000 years later, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, on either side of him were two criminals. And one of them says to him, remember me when you come into your inheritance. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. One of the criminals goes free because of Jesus. Isn't it staggering? Isn't it staggering the, 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 the whole picture? We're talking about different authors, thousands of years apart, how this works. This is wonderful. And then, and then Joseph is released from prison. Suddenly, he is resurrected. And from being in the dungeon of death, he suddenly sits at Pharaoh's right hand. He is prime minister of all Egypt and only Pharaoh is greater than him. Jesus, three days later, rises from the dead. And where is he now? Sitting at the right hand of the Father. I've just seen you. So nice to see you. We'll, 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 we'll chat later. Sorry, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> My old PA. I knew her when she was a little girl. Anyway, we won't go into that. And, and what was I saying? <laughs> He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. Jesus. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. And in Joseph's time, there was, um, uh, there was a famine. And people were starving. But because of Joseph... 
People who would have died, they lived. There is a famine because of Jesus, the bread of life. Those who would have died can live. And do you know what happened? His brothers came. The brothers that sold him into slavery. They came and they, and they were begging for food. They thought Joseph was dead. And then Joseph reveals himself to them and they're afraid. <gasps> we had him killed, we thought. We did that to him. We're done. Do you know what Joseph says? He says, do not be angry with yourselves. What you did, you meant for harm, but God meant it for good. God sent me on ahead of you so that through me, you might be saved. What we did to Jesus, our representatives, and we don't blame the Jews and we don't blame the Roman soldiers because we would have done exactly the same. What we did we meant for harm, but God meant it for good. Jesus went on ahead of us so that through him we might be saved. It's called grace. It's called grace. You see all over this. Then, then, we, we got to go, we're passing Moses. We, we got to go to David. The story of David is incredible. He was born in Bethlehem, a little nondescript town. You know, there was Jerusalem, and I've been there. You, you can see that from, from, from Jerusalem on the hill, you look down and you can see Bethlehem. It's at the bottom, in the lights a bit in the distance. And he wasn't born in, in, in the metropolis. He was born in the nondescript little town. And he was a shepherd boy. He was a shepherd. And then comes the time when he's anointed with oil representing the Holy Spirit by Samuel in front of all his brothers. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And when he began his ministry and he was baptized in the River Jordan, he was anointed with the Holy Spirit. He was baptized with the Holy Spirit in front of everyone. And the voice came from heaven. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And then we get to the place where David uh, confronts Goliath. Now, now the Philistines came to attack the Israelites and the Israelites were on one hill and then there was the valley with the, a brook running through and the Philistines were on the other hill. And uh, Andy and I, we went there, didn't we? We went there when we went to Israel and we went to that same place and we stood on the dry riverbed where David fought Goliath and we picked up five stones each and we brought them home and I've still got them in my house. In case I get burglars, I know what I'm going to do. They could have been, they could have been the same five stones. I know it's unlikely, but it's possible. So let me dream. And then, of course, Andy insisted that we should role play David and Goliath. And guess who ended up having to be Goliath? Well, it was obvious um, how that was going to end up. Uh, but you know, in, the, in those days, the giant 
he came and he taunted the armies of Israel. One of you, just one of you come as the representative of all of you and fight me. And if you beat me, then we will become your servants and you're free. But if I beat you, the representative, all of you are our slaves. And no one wanted to fight the giant. No one could defeat him until this shepherd boy turned up. And David said, I'll fight him. And King Saul said, what are you talking about? Have you seen the size of him? And you're a kid. And David said, the Lord will go with me. The Lord will go with me and I will defeat him. And then Saul tried to put his armour on David. And David said, no, that's not how I'm going to do it. And instead of going with the weapons of the world, he went with the weapons of a shepherd. He didn't go with an AK-47. He didn't go with a submachine gun. He didn't go with a nuclear warhead. He went with a sling and five smooth stones. And he went, if that's for me, I'm not in. Um, and he went for, with five smooth stones and he faced the giant and he defeated Goliath with the weapons of a shepherd, the weapons that were there to defend the sheep against those that would kill the sheep. Two thousand, one and a half thousand years later by this stage, Jesus faced Goliath, death, sin, Satan, with the weapons of a good shepherd, of a good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep and he won a great victory. And I start to come into land with what is for me the most amazing bit. Hear me out. Um, the Psalms were Israel's hymn book. They were written for uh, the people of Israel to sing and we've been singing them ever since. And the, the most famous of the Psalms is one that David wrote, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But I want to suggest to you this morning that there's another Psalm and a wonderful Psalm uh, that David wrote. I don't think he realised what he was writing. I, who knows? We'll find out when we get to heaven. But I don't know if he realised. But he didn't write it for us to sing. He didn't write it for him to sing. I believe with all my heart he wrote this, whether he knew it or not, for Jesus Christ to sing on the cross. Because the cross was an act of worship, of obedient worship by Jesus to his Father. And I want to read you whole chunks from this psalm. Listen to this. This is utterly flipping amazing. It was written 1,500 years before Jesus. It begins, Psalm 22 begins with these words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? Jesus cried that on the cross. My God, verse 2, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. 
this is fanciful. This is the most fanciful bit for me. I wonder if the night could have been the night he cried out with, with, with sweating blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. Or could it have been the moment where day turned to night on the cross? I don't know. And then he says, verse 6, but I am a worm and not a man. Now I just want to pause there. I just found this out. Someone pointed it out to me since the last service and I've checked it, I've checked it. The word for worm, there's more than one kind of worm. I'm not an expert on worms, but apparently there is. And the word in Hebrew for worm here is the word tola. And tola is a, a particular kind of worm and it's called the scarlet or the crimson worm. And the toller worm, which is what was described here, uh, always died young. It, it, never, it never managed to live um, to an, what would be an old age for a worm. And when it died, as it died, it would turn crimson. It would turn bright red. And then when it finally died, it would turn to white. What a little picture of Jesus hidden in that one flipping word. But listen to how it goes on. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. That's exactly what the Roman soldiers did to Jesus when he was on the cross. If you're really the Son of God, you saved others, save yourself. You healed others, you come, come down off the cross. They shook their heads, they shook their fists, they mocked him, they scorned him. Exactly this. And then he says, David, from birth I was cast on you, verse 10. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. If there's one person who could with integrity say, from my mother's womb, you have been my God. It's not David who wrote this psalm. It's the son of Mary for whom this psalm was written. And then he says this, verse 14. I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax, it has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. What does that mean? Uh, my mouth is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. That's poetic Hebrew for saying I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. That's what it means. And Jesus on the cross said it much more simply. He called out, I'm thirsty. And they gave him vinegar to drink. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. Listen to this line. They pierce my hands and my feet. Oh, that was my train. They pierce my hands and my feet. This was written hundreds of years before the Roman punishment of crucifixion was invented. When did they pierce David's hands and feet? I can't find anywhere. This was Jesus 
This was Jesus. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. Listen to this, guys. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. Exactly what they did to Jesus. Divided his clothes among them and they cast lots for his garment. And then verse 22. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. What's the big deal about that? I'll tell you what the big deal about that is. If you turn to Hebrews chapter 2, listen to the, what the writer to the Hebrew says. So this is verse 11 and 12. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. For he says, Jesus says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. The writer to the Hebrews quotes Psalm 22 and he tells us that Jesus said it. And then I'm going to skip through some other stuff because I want to get to this bit. How this psalm ends. The psalm that began, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Let me tell you how it ends. This is the last verse, verse 31. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn. Here's the final four words. He has done it. Jesus made that personal on the cross. In the psalm, the people would declare, he has done it. On the cross, Jesus declared, it is finished. I've done it. I've done it. The psalm that begins, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And goes through all of that, ends triumphantly with it is finished. This is our Jesus. This, what does this tell us? It tells us that our salvation is not an accident. This psalm tells us that it was planned from the beginning, that he always meant this. He always said we were worth it. He was never out of his control. And as we face the latest on COVID, it's the same God. It doesn't stump him. He's not like, oh my word, I never saw this coming. And I just want to finish by a little story that um, I have to say because it explains it the best. Dennis and Miriam's son, uh, Martin um, and Emily, um, when, um, when they got pregnant with um, their firstborn with Jack, um, Emily was a little bit overdue, if I remember. And uh, I kept saying to them, tell me, tell me when, when Emily starts to get into labour. And one night, uh, uh, early evening, Martin phoned me and he said, we're going to the hospital, Emily's in labour. I waited and I waited and I waited and it took forever. And then after ages, I can't remember how long it was, but it was, took ages. Martin phoned and he said, Jack has been born. Do you want to come and see him? And I said, you bet I do. So I got in the car. I arrived at the hospital. Emily was in a room on her own. Uh, I, 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 I went in 
Uh, they pointed me to where the room was. I went into the room and there was Emily lying on the bed. And um, you know, there's, if in the movies, in Hollywood, you know, when the heroine has just given birth, you know, the, the shot is, she's, she's pretty tired, but all her hair is in place. The makeup is perfect. The negligee, the nightie is just, just shimmering on the bed. And she's just a little bit tired, but so happy. Emily was nothing like that. I walked in and she was like, and I said, Emily, how was it? She said, it was terrible. She said, it was hours and hours and he was facing the wrong direction. And in the end, they had to give me a C-section. And oh, it was, it was agony, it was agony. And then I, I looked round and I thought, what have they done with him? Where? And I said, where's Jack? And she said, Martin's taken him for a little walk down the corridor just so that I can have a bit of a rest. Well, after a little while, Martin came back with this bundle and we sat on the bed and I said, can I have a look? And they said, yes. And they said to me, I said, what's he like? And they said, oh, he's beautiful. He's absolutely wonderful. He is so stunning. He is so gorgeous. And then as they unwrapped him, I looked down with expectancy and then I saw him and I froze. I thought, oh no, what has happened? Have you seen a baby that's just been born? It's horrible. It was, he was red, his skull hadn't gone back to normal, it was like that. And I thought, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Someone put him out of his misery. Quickly get a doctor. And then I looked at Martin and Emily and, and they were looking at what I was looking at and they were like... And I was like, what's wrong with you? You've been through this nightmare. What has happened to you? And then they started saying stupid things like, like he, he, he's got his mummy's chin and he's got his daddy's eyes. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's got his daddy's eyes. He hasn't opened his eyes. I'm not sure he's even got eyes. But they were like, wow. Something weird happens to parents when their kids are born. They can't see straight. And in all the agony, I want to say to you, if you've never had children, I say this with all my heart, do not have children. It starts like that. It starts with a few minutes of fun. And then, and then it's, it's nine months of puking and feeling sick and horrible. And, and guys, you'll have to cook your own meals. It's terrible. And then there's that agony as the baby is born. And then you take it home. And where the birth is that, is that short, intense agony, when you take it home, it's this slow torture of sleepless nights, sleeplessness forever, 
where it screams and it wants things and, it, and, and everything. And then it starts to cost you money. Every two months you have to buy new shoes because it's grown out of them and clothes. And then it starts school and you got all of that. And then worst of all, it has its 13th birthday. And at that point, it turns into a monster. It starts to hate you. It says things to you like, I didn't ask to be born. You don't understand me. I wish I, wish I had other parents. You, 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 you just, you, you, you ground me. You, you, you do this, you do that. You, my, other, the other kids' parents are much nicer than you. And it hates you. And it goes moody. And it locks itself in its room. Is that, am I hitting the mark here? And it locks, <laughs> and it locks it, I look somewhere else. And it locks itself in its room and it won't eat. And then, and then it falls in love. And then it's horrible because it, it goes all, and it wanders around like this. And it can't communicate with you in other ways. And it stops eating. And it's constantly it's constantly talking to its phone all hours of the day and night. And you're thinking, what on earth can you be saying? What are you doing? Why are you spending all this time? And it does that. And then it breaks up with its boyfriend or girlfriend. And then it really gets bad. And then it's crying in its room. And it locks its door and it won't let you in. And it says you can't understand. And it tells you its life is ruined. And you, because you love your child, you can't sleep. You're up all night. You're worrying. You're concerned. And then two days later, it falls in love again and everything's all right. And you're thinking, why did I go through all this agony? And then it goes to university or college and it costs you even more money. And you think at least it's left, but it comes home regularly. And it brings all its dirty clothes in black bin liners for you to wash. And then one day, it gets married. And you think, it's over. It's over. I don't have to worry anymore. And it has your first grandchild. And then one day, you're starting to think, we can get reacquainted as husband and wife. We can go on a holiday just for us. We can go out for a quiet meal, the two of us. We haven't done it for 25 years. And then just as you're about to go, there's a knock on the door and it's your child. And it comes in and it says, hey, mum and dad, we were thinking about going out for a meal, the two of us. And you might want to babysit. Here's your grandchild. It never ends. It never ends. And I tell, I have told over the years, so many people do not have children. Look at that. And do you know what I've noticed? Lots of people ignore me. They, they don't listen to what I say. And do you know what they say is, they say, Mike, you're right. We can't deny it. You're right. It will be like this. And do you know what else they say?
but they'll be worth it anyway. We'll pay the price. We'll have the sleepless nights. We'll go to centre parks on holiday. We won't have the money that we thought we'd have, but we will love them, whatever they do, even when they seem to hate us, we will love them because they're worth it. What this tells us is before our creation, Father, Son and Holy Spirit had some sort of conversation and they said this, you know what it's going to be like? It's going to be agony. They're going to hurt each other and they're going to blame us. You know they're going to blame us. And they're going to cost us everything. And son, you're going to have to go down and you're going to have to pay the price. They're going to cost us everything. They're going to break our hearts. But we've made a decision, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. They're worth it. They're worth it. From the beginning, from Noah, this is the gospel. This is the wonderful gospel. This is why we're here. This is why we love him. Because he first loved us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Just want to say again, if you want to know more about all this stuff, um, I'm just plugging our book, Storylines. Uh, you can get it from um, Jeannie at the bookstore. But if you're watching online, you can buy it from St. Andrew's uh, Bookshop, standrewsbookshop.co.uk, something, um, or, or even Amazon. Don't care how you get it. I just, I just need a little bit of royalty uh, because my restaurant fund is running low. So... Um, This is Jesus. This is Jesus.